everyone. Thanks for tuning in once again to another episode of Crossover Commerce. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is my corner of the internet where I bring you the best and, best and brightest. I won't negate the brightest part because everyone here is bright. Uh, the best and brightest experts in the Amazon and e-commerce space to this corner of the internet where I talk to them to share their insights on the most important aspects of selling online, whether it be advertising, whether it be branding, whether it be product listing, whether it be just sourcing, logistics, so on and so forth. There's so much that you as an entrepreneur need to know, and that's where we're going to start helping you on your journey. This is episode 140, which means that there's 139 other episodes out there. How do I find that? How do I listen to them? Well, go check them out on your favorite podcast destinations, or you can actually subscribe to our social media channels, which are, of course, on YouTube. Just search Ping Pong Payments, and there's a whole playlist of different kinds of content curated library where you can listen to past guests, friends of the show, and then people who have returned on the guests, which were uh, returned as guests on the show to talk their updates on what's going on in the space. And we have that today with our guests, of course. But before we get started, Crossover Commerce is presented by Ping Pong Payments. Ping Pong Payments, what are we? We're not a table tennis company. Let's get that out of the way right now. Crossover, our Ping Pong Payments helps has now helped over 1 million customers worldwide Amazon sellers, e-commerce sellers, entrepreneurs, businesses grow when selling or repatriating their money and getting it back to their local currency, whether it's paying out your VAs, suppliers, manufacturers overseas, and getting their money back on different marketplaces, whether you're selling on Amazon Mexico, Canada, Australia, we're going to help you save money when it comes back to your local currency. And it's free to sign up. Go ahead and sign up for today. That link is going to be in the comment section below, or if you're listening to this, it's going to be in the show notes section on the podcast. Just go ahead and click sign up and uh, start using ping pong today. It, it saves you money. You want to make sure it goes to your bottom line and use it for different things like advertising, uh, more more products, whatever that might be. Make it yourself more profitable going forward with ping pong today. That being said, uh, we're talking about traffic. I think uh, we're not talking about like sitting in a uh, today traffic. We're not talking about going to work in 45 minutes sitting in car-to-car, bumper-to-bumper traffic. We're talking about driving eyeballs to your listing or talking about different kinds of ads and driving it to make sure that a customer can find your products online, where that might be on Amazon, that might be on different kinds of platforms. But of course, we're talking about from Amazon external traffic and the latest tools and strategies for that kind of optimization. That being said, I want to bring on the friend of the show, uh, Troy Johnson from Seller Tools, to talk a little bit about what he's seeing, the tools that they're building, but also what the ecosystem is looking like nowadays. And, you know, I, I always, he's one of the people that has his pulse, uh, ear to the pulse of the industry. So that being said, let's go ahead and bring in Troy of Seller Tools to back to Crossover Commerce. Troy, what's up, man? How are you? Hey, Ryan. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, you're like, gosh, I want to say like SNL, I want to say I had like the three timers club or the five timers club. I need to like create jackets for people who like to make uh, constant appearances on my show. So oh, nice. I mean, yeah, I have to hold I, you to do that. I, I, I need to like now that it's out there, I need to talk to my boss and say like, hey, we need to put some budget into marketing swag for people who keep coming back and providing great content. But hey, thanks for joining us again. You're you appear your own show, uh, the hundred show, and now one forty. I feel like there's like all these little markers that we have to constantly check in with you because there's so much changing constantly. Yeah, absolutely. I think even <laughs> from the last time we talked, there has been there has been so much change. Uh, a lot of new updates and things that we've got to, as sellers, as providers, as you know, uh, SaaS solutions. Where you know I've got my hands in a few different things. 
um, changes the constant, right? That's that's the that's the fun of Amazon. Where if you can stay on top of it, though, you get a, a really nice advantage um, in terms of your results. So exactly. Well, I mean, like I said, it's if you want to be in an industry that's boring, go into like accounting or something <laughs> like that, where you're just looking at numbers. Not to not to uh, slight any accountants out there. It's almost expectations, but nowadays it, it just feels like you have to kind of keep your head on a swivel and constantly look around, re-educate yourself. But um, since we last talked, I think the last things on your specific episode that we launched, which is now on audio format, we talked about uh, the the different aspects that Amazon is not allowing access to, which is uh, seller's information. It was a lot of customer data, knowing where they're coming from. That actually was getting shut down completely. It was just... Uh, you're no longer can get that data. So you guys have actually developed some tools to find out how to drive more customer segmented data, understand where they're coming from and really develop that customer avatar. Is that, is that pretty similar to what we were, the path that we were going on in that regard? Yeah, absolutely. That's a big part of the equation. Cause I mean, as a, as a solution, seller tools, I think really shines in terms of supporting brands and, and how they can own more of the customer. So how they can reliably capture information, uh, manage that information, reach back out to re-engage or support that customer. Um, and so that's that's been a little bit of the table that's been set, which is, has been the mainstay on Amazon. Really, they continually, the, the, the whole philosophy is you're transacting with a, an Amazon customer and you're just supposed to kind of come in and out of that equation as opposed to when that customer transacts, they become yours and then they have, you know, an, a, 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 um, a, a interest in continuing that relationship with you and your brand. And so, and as we know, you know, when you get into LTV and a lot of the other, you know, kind of more traditional D to C metrics, um, if we can fold that into the Amazon equation, um, it's, it's just, it's just really powerful. So that's where, what we think about and kind of brainstorm as ideas for our feature set is, how can we make sure that brands find ways to arrive at more customer ownership um, where, you know, again, we see some of the challenges with PPC, some of the shortcomings, the increased costs. Um, it's, you know, it, it, it tends to be the other big piece of the equation that, that sellers and brands think about. But I think um, it, it can be the antithesis at times of customer ownership. It can be purely transactional. Uh, which which really falls flat, and it's it's very cost intensive too, when you have to consistently just throw money at and pay to play to be able to scale up on Amazon and drive more revenue and more growth across a, a hopefully a, a growing brand and product mix. Well, and that that's the that's the kind of scary trend I would say. Like we look at bar graphs nowadays, and a lot of people have very sensitive natures when we look at bar graphs or any kind of like upward trends of uh, when it comes to money or you know I, I i'm kind of like alluding to like COVID, but anyways like that that was that's a very stupid thing uh but people are sensitive to the nature of when you look at upward trends depending on what the subject is it can mean a lot of different things like obviously sales if you're looking at your bars going up that means a lot more sales more revenue things like that uh but in the cost in the in the avenue of cost like container costs have gone up like significantly i want to say anywhere from four to eight x from what it was a year ago, even two years ago, there's so many different costs that are starting to pile on as new people into the marketplace. But even as older sellers try to, uh, more mature sellers try to grow their business, there's so many different avenues to, they, they can't grow as fast as they once were able to 
do. So what, what are kind of that, those kinds of challenges that we have to overcome now? What, what's the low hanging fruit that is easy to pivot and kind of move forward, if you will? Yeah. And honestly, that's such a huge point. And, you know, you think about the, the political, you know, the geopolitical, the, the whole, the whole landscape now that we have to sort of grapple with as physical product sellers and, and brand owners is that with costs mostly going in the direction of, of, of increasing, um, is extracting as much value as possible for each and every individual unit of inventory. And so that really brings into question, what is your ROI? Um, and, and it dovetails back into customer ownership is, is if I can come back to that, that customer and drive up and double the LTV or even incrementally increase the, the LTV, that lifetime value of that customer, I can begin to offset what I may be realizing in terms of, oh, you know, in order to earn a sale, I've, a sale, I've got to be able to expend three or $4 per unit. And then I've got my referral fees and Amazon fees. And then I've got, you know, uh, I've got the shipping fees and, and, and freight um, and logistic, uh, logistics challenges that are incorporated in that as well. So it really forces the question of doing the math and the analysis to figure out on a, on a almost a per unit basis um, or maybe what makes sense. And this is where you, I, I think, you know, when you do that analysis, it, it's maybe shaking up the status quo of what your process looks like for, uh, restocking and inventory readiness. Um, you know, uh, for us, some of our brands, you know, we've revisited, we have little scripts that we run where, if, you know, it triggers, if it's sent email goes out, all of those things and automations are, are, are great. Um, but we've also revisited the use of 3PL and then how that dictates our numbers and then the type of relationship and partnership that we have with our uh, manufacturers to be able to say, hey, how do we earn priority? Maybe where we give away some short-term short-term gain for the purposes of the bigger picture because I think that's that fits into this, this ROI equation. So, And again, I'm, I'm a big advocate because this is what we are in all the time of, of the customer ownership. But when you look at the entirety of the picture and really the landscape, that brands on Amazon have to to tackle just to have a you know unit of inventory land at a fulfillment center. It's really looking at the whole thing and saying how do we ex- how do we extract as much value out of this and not just maintain that status quo, even if it's systematized. Which I'm a big systems person, where it's like you almost don't want to mess with it, but then you start seeing okay, well this is cost prohibitive or this is too cost intensive or this uh, unforeseen delay. Because there's no padding or extra to our, you know, our um, our restock process and sequence, it's really revisiting that. Um, and so you can see how there's just there's a, there's a lot that comes into this. I mean, when you sell on Amazon, if you're if you're a solopreneur, small team operator, um, that's that's makes up a good amount of our our uh, user base. Um, is usually they're using tools for data and automation. Is you know how can I get insightful data, but then how can I keep mm-hmm. a very small team and then go up against the the big team members or the the big team brands uh, that may have a little bit more bloat and overhead. Um, but that's, yeah, this is, this is, if it wasn't a thing before the analysis and the uh, quantification of a lot of that, I think has become that much more crucial. I think the, the thing that's fascinating me about these kind of data points you're talking about, I think uh, when we were talking about sellers who have entered the, who are like best sellers, the BSR rank, and how long that they have a product that sits on some of these like bestseller categories, you see a lot more new sellers coming into it and only having it for a short amount of time, like maybe a day or two or three, 
and then it, it incrementally like starts to really dive off when you get to an established brand. So you're starting to see these uh, new sellers come into a category, make a really big splash, and then all of a sudden they dive off and they they're no longer that top of top ten or what uh, for their product. And that's concerning because it's a lot of these tools that either like launch you and get you to the front and then the quality or just the consistency or the nature to like keep them there doesn't necessarily last. So I'm curious, are you guys seeing that in terms of data of it's just a quick flash in the pan and then they kind of like trickle away and kind of the, the more nurturing, the more experienced people kind of just take over and are there consistently? Yeah. I mean, it's a really good point. And, and when you look at uh, you, you, sort of um, gather together as much in the way of anecdotal insights for that type of use case where you have these brands that are just able to hop on page one, get their most important keywords, and then they just taper off that performance or lose their uh, their respective market share just because they can't maintain that sales velocity, driving that external traffic. Uh, or as you, as you alluded to, if they're using, a, let's say, a, a different type of launch service, well, you know, maybe that gives them some of the important rank factors, but then over time, they're maybe welcoming a lot of lower quality customers. Um, let's say, let's say buyers that are, are more deal chasers. So in Amazon's eyes, they may not be weighted as heavily as if you are driving, uh, let's say you're established D to C brand that's has YouTube videos and has, you know, great social presence. And then they have these full price buys from a variety of higher quality customers where they're just going to be smooth and steady versus this massive uptick where, okay, you've got the honeymoon period as a ranking factor. Um, you have relevancy. So if you're truly optimized for that listing and you're, you're sort of your Amazon SEO, sure. It's, it's easy to, to, to rank relatively speaking. It's the maintenance of that rank that I think, uh, that, that is one of the biggest challenges because you sort of have to take those same rank factors and think about, okay, what's the sustaining element? What am I going to tell Amazon that shows it? I have the relevancy, I have the volume, I have the page interactions, I have the higher quality customers, all those things that we know make up ranking, but do so not just in a temporary window. It's a sustained uh, impact that we're seeing on those factors. Yeah, I was listening to Danny McMillan uh, talk on one of his shows. It was just like a 10 minute blurb. And I've been involved with ranking in the past with clients that are for, at my former company. But it, what he said what made so much sense, and it was, you look at Amazon's algorithm, and when you first launch a product, you are, you're trying to get people to convert, right? That, that's the number one thing in your mind. But what Amazon sees is not just conversion, it's not just uh, the, the ranking of which, or the keywords of which you're using, or the amount of which conversions are happening. They're looking at the win rate, and win rate would be like, if someone it's the same as a conversion rate for any sort of brand out there if you're if confused by that so a conversion rate is if i have 100 people going to my product page how many of those 100 people are going to purchase my product in the beginning when people launch that product it's going to be a crazy high percentage win rate it's gonna be like 80 90 closer to 100 percent because those are your valued customers friends and family people you've built rapport with you're telling them hey go purchase this Amazon sees that as a crazy unsustainable growth, albeit they're converting. That's not a consistency factor that you will get every single person at an 80%, 70% even that hits your product page is going to convert at that rate, which is, if you think about that as an entrepreneur, you're like, you're right, that's going to be a drop off. 
as well as the quantity of which I'm selling through. So both hits are going to just completely put a hole in my, like my boat basically, and just completely drop me off the ranking path. Why don't more people think about like win rate and how do we not manipulate win rate, but how do we consistently keep that factor throughout? So that Amazon rewards win rate versus the amount of sales we're doing in the matter of three weeks or so. Right. Yeah. And you know, one of the ways that we tackle it is we, we sort of structure our launches to be able to obtain that organic rank, but not, um, more often than not, I think sellers and brands are anxious to sort of turn off if they're, they're running sort of some sort of sales velocity initiative where they're driving up an impacting rank. As soon as they hit that top spot, they're like, Oh, well I'm, I'm there. Let's, let's shut this off. Amazon sees and has rewarded me for uh, my efforts to be able to rank that product. Um, but we'll structure our launches to where we'll sort of have a natural organic increase and then we'll maintain that sales velocity, welcome those page interactions, and then sustain that organic rank before we then taper off. And it's more of a taper off instead of a off the cliff. Right, right, right. Yeah. And so, so that's I was going to say, is that, is, that a, is that something that, not manipulation, but more you have to like cultivate that it's not launches don't take place in seven to 14 days. Now they they could take 21, 28, even over the course of months. And I know that's not what a lot of people like to hear, but isn't that in your mind, is that the smart way to play now instead of the quick instantaneous, Hey, burn through products at, at an obnoxiously high rate. And then even longer term, if you're still looking at time wise, you still have to cultivate that over over the course of time, is it is it easiest to kind of build that slow rate, invest in PPC or some sort of like off-site traffic to your listings consistently instead of the the quick hit, like shoot up like a rocket and then obviously peter out? Yeah, yeah, and I think you know this is where the onus on the is is really on the brands because Amazon has been a moving target in that sense where you know we we have a launch platform. Uh, we run launches regularly for our own brands and obviously have a lot of insight into to launches at scale. But there was a time where one-day launches, massively effective, give a huge spike in sales velocity, rank on page one, and then manage that, that new organic rank. And then three-day launches were really effective. They worked really great where it was just sort of like a, it was still very steep, but it was over a slightly distributed, distributed window of time. And now today... I mean, you're, you're spot on, Ryan. I mean, we, we even measure our launches in 30-day windows. So we look at 30 days or possibly 60 days that will create that nice little steady, perceivably organic um, activity uh, to our listing against some of our most important keywords. We'll try to diversify some of those external traffic uh, sources as well. So we give all of these different signals to Amazon that says, hey, there's a high level of interest to these highly relevant keywords from a number of, of sources. It, it's very, um, I think I think right now, where we're at in terms of what works for ranking is probably the most intuitive, I would say, where you would expect Amazon, where they normalize things a little bit, um, one-day spikes aren't effective, but they just want to see, hey, there's a, a sustained level of interest from a variety of sources, ideally high-quality sources, and that would deserve you would sort of earn the ranking for uh what keywords that you're relevant for and this again assumes that you've done the the keyword research your listing is optimized you're really well positioned to where if you welcome page interactions there's more time on your detail page so you have all your media media sorted out you have all your conversion readiness in place 
you welcome those add to carts, all those different factors that impact rank, but that sustained um, sort of model that we see working right now, I think is, is we've kind of arrived at a very intuitive one where it's, yeah, like, that makes sense. Like that's, that's what I would expect if I was in Amazon shoes of like, yeah, this is what I would reward and want to see continually over time. Yeah. You're rewarding more of a, a consistency rather than just a, a shot or like a, a big, like rocket, like we talked about earlier, um, rewarding more of those brands who are trying to do it right. Instead of this, you know, flash in the pan, if you will. Uh, so external traffic, you talk about sources in it, um, optimizing kind of your listing. What is Amazon rewarding, uh, in terms of going to your listing? Are they rewarding outside traffic more inside traffic? What's kind of that external traffic, if you will, of the topic we we're kind of covering today? Um, yeah, to cover. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, and when it comes to external traffic, you know, there's two things that really sort of stand out, and it's almost like the quality and the quantity, where you think about the variety of sources. Um, so the uh, organic or perceivably organic, if we can welcome that to where, uh, let's say we direct a customer from Pinterest, and then we direct a customer from um, a YouTube video. Uh, or a, a Google link in addition to to YouTube. So we have these really nice, diverse sets of traffic sources where we're showing Amazon, hey, there's buyer intent from these other sources, um, hopefully in a keyword-rich way so we can use an, an optimized link to kind of pass that through. That's a really great way to kind of check off the, the quantity side of things. The quality is when you think about domain authority and potentially prioritize um, most notably, and this is, has remained the case uh, from what we've seen, is that Google and YouTube, with their immense domain authority, gets disproportionately rewarded for for ranking. So really, okay, yeah, yeah. So we're talking about are we talking about like ad, like ads or organic like uh, blog content or anything organic that would pop up if I'm clicking on an article, it would drive me to their listing. That's that's what's being rewarded. Yep, both. Interesting. Paid okay. and organic. The beauty of paid, of course, is that you can impose a lot more control. Um, mm -hmm. When we talk about, when we put that in the context of a sustained uh, launch and sustained sales activity um, for a listing based on a specific keyword, but the paid side allows us to um, really manipulate that a little bit more. Um, and so uh, we actually just recently did a training, and, and it's a, it's a strategy we call link laundering. It's it's kind of sounds like a Sounds like a bad, bad sounds dirty, like secretive. I know. <laughs> yeah, like let's stay away from our black hack tactics. Try come on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, that the term makes sense. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because it's it's the same it's the same concept where we want Amazon to see, hey, if a if a a, a customer a potential customer watches our YouTube content and then hops over to our listing and spends a little bit of time there before buying, um, that's. That's that's a win win win, right? Customer finds relevant, um, useful, high utility product that they're interested in uh, buying uh, buying from us. Amazon gets external traffic; they validate it, they see that referral source with a great domain authority. You know, it, it ties into now in the in the short term what they're trying to do, and and in many ways incentivize for driving that external traffic through the their new brand referral program. Um, so that's a big a big piece of the uh, uh, equation as well. Um, but it's it's immensely effective. Again, this this is where if you put yourself, you know, put put your Amazon hat on your Amazon. This is another thing where you're like, oh yeah, you know, if if, if I if we take, uh, you know, seller strategy uh, that's just doing A to B, where he is just from a single, he's running Facebook ads, single source referral source right to Amazon listing. That's very predictable, very A to B. 
even if we're paying for that, there's not as much inherent relevancy, I would say, because we're sort of forcing the system as opposed to seeing showing Amazon. Well, shoot, as opposed to one source, we have five sources of external traffic coming in with a high level of relevant interest. Um, again, if we have our Amazon hat on, we're like, yeah, this list, this listing, this product deserves the rank, should have the relevancy because the profit motive uh, that, that really drives a, a nine is saying, well, we want as conversion ready, potentially revenue generating listing to, to be present to win the rank for that given keyword. So we try to we try to utilize and you know we use strategies with ManyChat and other ways of owning that customer journey to where when we can make that very seamless, that's a really great way of of owning that customer engagement, supporting them, getting ahead of any negative reviews or feedback. Um, getting this ranking benefit, and then we automate some of the review capture as well. And that's really where you just tie in all of these Amazon objectives, check off the external traffic uh, box. But then, like I said, if you're if you're you have your Amazon hat or lens or whatever whatever analogy you want to use, you sort of say, yeah, that makes sense. Like take out their manual that's like this thick, and we're all just yeah. gonna like flip through real quick. <laughs> uh, well, well, so. What you said makes sense. Uh, I think it ties, it ties into the biggest thing we've seen in 2020 and 2021. Brands have this more, brands are the bell of the ball now. Like where Amazon used to reward flashes in the pan, they are no longer there. It, it's just their traffic reviews, things like that. They're now shifting into quality focused of brand registry, doing more of diverse traffic, like you said, in multiple sources. Um, companies and brands that are trying to either, if they're sending traffic away or bringing traffic in, whether it's using their resources like DSP or it's driving traffic back to Amazon, that's kind of this well-rounded, you know, almost like a well-rounded kid, right? You're playing sports, you're in the arts, you're doing all these things and you're like, oh, that's a great kid. Like you, you did a good job and you're going to graduate head of your class or something like that. Uh, I, I think that makes sense in Amazon's eyes as well. To know that it's a great referral source, it's unique and interesting that it's rewarded highest, highest from Google and YouTube instead of something else. Why do you think that's the case from those sources and stuff like a like a Pinterest or Facebook? Is it because those are more manipulative sources? Um, I, I think it's just purely the. <laughs> I think it's it's the domain authority. Uh, I mean, I would love to speculate and say, you know, that the Amazon and Google relationship of like, you know, and, and this is where, again, the brand referral program where, you know, Amazon wants to own search and buyer intent from wherever it arrives from. And, you know, obviously Google, largest search engine on the planet, mm -hmm. Amazon, largest commerce per, you know, platform on the planet, right. where, you know, if they can gobble up the, the search results, we're both paid and organic, it's highly visible for Amazon products. Um, it's it's uh, it makes a lot of sense for them to then reward and and that's a little bit of what they're doing now with the with the brand referral program where they're giving you kind of a a, a little bit of an incentive um, mm -hmm. if you're brand registered um, mostly to offset your costs obviously as we know with referral fees and that type of thing it's it's not a it's not a, uh, a sus substantial way of generating revenue but it's a great way of saying hey if if I want to substantiate my Amazon uh, presence. Let me take up more uh, real estate and market share through these external channels um, with with Google and YouTube. So, um, and YouTube, like I said, because it's you know it's media rich, it's videos. I think it 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 also 
if it wasn't just the domain authority, it was slightly more subjective for me. I think it makes sense in terms of, I don't know, this would be purely spe speculative, but it's just- That's more, what we do here on the show, yeah. don't worry. <laughs> Here's absolute it's speculation. But I mean, you know, you offer more media, more insight, more, more substance, let's say, before driving someone to Amazon. And I think with what we've seen with, with Facebook ads, which was really such a tried and true way of directing because it was such a find them where they're at, um, you know, customers, potential customers. Targeting was much better before the iOS update if you didn't have your customer list or, or custom audiences. Um, that we could speculate that that's been devalued in a way where because it became so A to B at scale, you know, Amazon kind of just took that weight down a little bit and, and, and sort of said, well, give me more quality, give me more quantity, and we're going to reward that through uh through the algorithm so i will i will wholly admit that is still very speculative the the ability to we, we crowdsource insights we see you know again across as, as many categories and, and brands as we can uh, but nobody is nobody is amazon nobody gets to rightfully put that hat on uh other than amazon themselves so yeah i can't i can't wait to get that insider uh source that can tell me all these things and i can say per per <laughs> referral source or something like that and just break news or something like that uh this kind of ties into it rob uh i think joining us from miami if he's still there uh crazily traveling all over the world still uh <laughs> but anyways he asked uh have the new rules on facebook which i believe what he's referring to is facebook has come out and roughly said we're going to stop sending traffic or there, there's something with Facebook, Amazon tension of sending traffic from one to the other uh, affected the rules uh, and the use of mini chat and seller tools at all. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, that's a great question. I, th I think, Robbie, if you're alluding to the iOS update, it was pretty substantial to where, um, you know, the ability for iOS users to opt out of apps for, for more tracking um, more visibility at the customer level that really tapered off considerably. So on the whole, not really great if you're running Facebook ads. Um, now for us as Amazon sellers, the, the really great thing is, is if, if it's kind of tapering down for everyone else, if we can find advantage, we sort of have a whole blue ocean to take advantage of. And so there's actually tools that we integrate with at seller tools to where we take our known data and they take their known data and we say, Hey, this starts to paint a picture of what that audience can look like a custom audience based on purchase activity what takes place for your account or brand so one of those is uh zon tracker uh that we we work with at, at yev at zon tracker and it really helps to offset um what has taken place where because those opt-outs in mass i've done it myself where you know if i have the option i'm not gonna i'm not gonna have everybody watching me uh, tracking my activity that type of thing but the beauty is the the really um, bigger than silver lining I would say is that that's the case for most. But then if you can tie into these integrations and solutions, and we can start to map some of this data, you can uh, utilize custom audiences from some of your uh, existing customers, and then you can also through through a solution like like Zon Tracker, you can actually get the analytics and the metrics for how that performs when you start running some of those ads. So it's uh, it's actually been really bittersweet. Um, so. Hopefully that was your question, Robbie. I, I know uh, when it comes to mini chat, you can create custom audiences right there too, um, natively in mini chat. Um, you know, one of the one of the big things using mini chat as a, a chat marketing solution that ties in heavily to Facebook is just making sure that you're you're compliant and meeting their policies, adding tags. Mostly they just want you to not be spamming customers, which makes total sense. We don't do that anyway. 
uh, but just making sure that you are um, compliant with a lot of their steps and that way you can use ManyChat effectively. Yeah, so he's uh, he's messaging me right now. <laughs> I don't have the message app up right now, Rob, because we're doing a show here, man. Yeah, so, come on, uh, Robbie. Yeah, come on. You have to put it in the official forum <laughs> for me to answer these questions. No, he's uh, Wizards of Amazon uh, Expo down in uh, – or Wizards of Ecom, excuse me. I know Wizard of Amazon changed to Wizards of Ecom, so down there with Carlos Alvarez and people in Miami. So he's actually in Florida. Everyone's in Florida right now. I know. So. Uh, <laughs> everyone's just going throw away guys it, guys it is august and it is hot why are you in <laughs> florida like that's my question to you like you willingly going to the hottest most humid place in the world get out of there no, i'm just kidding <laughs> uh, no but yeah go check out that event uh just a free shameless plug for if you're in miami go check out that event uh wizards of ecom and uh talk to either rob or carlos um that'll be a cool event i think it's happening tomorrow so um shameless plug for you rob um since you're bothering me on while I'm doing the show. Anyways, <laughs> back to back to more serious matters and we're talking about Amazon. Uh you you mentioned multiple times a referral program. I'm a big dummy. I don't know all the nuances of the program and how that's actually affecting sellers versus uh services. So walk me through the basics of it was a big thing. It was a big uh, announcement by Amazon and it was very well received from what I could tell. What what what's the referral program? It, it should be a nuance like affiliate program in my mind that's what it sounds like of rewarding people to drive traffic to make purchase on amazon is that the nuance of it is that long and short of it basically yeah in a, in a nutshell it's it's um, affiliates for brand registered brands so uh, assuming as a brand on amazon you've gone through the brand registry steps you know you're trademarked um you've got everything knocked out then on the other side, you have, of course, the ability to use attribution, which is a key part of uh, a key part of the process that uh, you can now use the brand referral program to be able to direct traffic. You dictate the source, you add in the, the URL, what they call a click through URL. Um, and then uh, what's different than affiliates, a, a point of clarification is you can't just send that traffic to any product on Amazon. It needs to be to your brand registered uh, brand and products. So, um, but it's, it's, a, you know, it's, it's a, it's kind of a nice little olive branch that they're extending to where they're rewarding to a degree driving external traffic, uh, to your, uh, to your brand, uh, at approximately it's a, it's an average of 10%. So it is category specific. What your return is always um, is, yeah. always is yeah. like they reward <laughs> higher, what, uh, electronics. I mean, uh, higher dollar, uh, value items typically get a little bit more, uh, percentage points, but, um, yeah, home and garden tip or home and kitchen, not very high. It's always like clothing or stuff that's wear and tear and you would buy more of it and stuff like big time purchases or one off things. That that's how I've always seen the, the affiliate world of how they measure metrics in that regard. So uh is that very similar in that capacity? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's there is a drop off, uh let's say I, I believe it's ten dollars. If it's under ten dollars, it drops off to like five percent uh for your um makes sense. Yeah, referral commission there. So it is kind of a sliding scale. Some of the most cynical brands and people, you know, as I've talked with more sellers about it are, are sort of like, you know, 10, 10 is probably a little bit on the higher range and you can just wait for them to start dropping that down. You know, as, as we normal, you know, we add these systems and think, oh yeah, we can, we can use this to offset referral fees and other, right. uh, other commissions and fees that we pay. But it's like a 60 day delay 
in terms of uh, when you receive the the return of the commission on that referral. Um, so, so Q4 payouts would be in February, essentially. Yeah, yeah. It's not exactly like a, you know, it's it's not something that you really can hang your hat on and say, oh, this is going to be a substantial return. Now, if you do a lot of volume and you are confident with external traffic and, and um, you know, running a variety of paid ads and, and are comfortable with Amazon attribution, a lot of those different strategies, this can be a great way to offset costs. Um, because again, if we, if we kind of zoom out the macro context with PPC getting more expensive, it just getting more cutthroat and, you know, Amazon just getting more visibility by virtue of the capital and the interest that's coming into the space. Um, we'll take it too. So, I mean, you know, anything that helps to offset costs, even if it maybe tapers down over time, which I think it's, it's better to have that expectation. Uh, it is something so that there is, there is something to be said for it. Well, that's the thing too. I always see like these promo codes that you get from direct to consumer brands. 10% isn't going to cover like too much. Like you're not getting like a significant cost savings, but Hey, it might cover your shipping or it might cover your taxes. Same thing with right. brands. Uh, but I saw this yesterday too. I thought it was kind of unique and they tagged it as an affiliate, uh, fun opportunity, but it sounds more like the brand registry opportunity you're talking about um aggregators and money coming in space perch actually sent something out um you know I, I try to keep my ear to what they're doing and all the new fun stuff that they're coming out with uh they actually had tagged it was perch who had said that halle berry had made a quote for a specific brand like let's talk about oh this amazing vitamin d serum or vitamin c serum they were uh, she was talking about how great it was and how nice it was it was posted in the new york post online clicked on and drove them to that specific brand. All of this kind of tying back to, it was tacked as an affiliate, but I wonder if that's part of that referral program, that brand registry program, because these more often than not, these companies or these aggregators will probably have brand registry uh, products mm -hmm. more often than not, probably, um, if not all of them. So I'm curious if that actually is a bigger win for them. Maybe that can kind of play with these little or a lot bigger PR strategies and uh, trying to implement those and then get some of that win back in that regards. Is that, is that a, maybe a fair assumption or is that an interesting thing of the bigger you are, maybe the more opportunity you can have all these things pointing to your one brand in that capacity? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Cause then, I mean, influ influencers is another, you know, I, I, I don't think I've even mentioned that, but you know, when we talk about the more of the or, or perceivably organic, um, right. if not, uh, you know, depending on the relationship and the way that you can, uh, or ambassadors, micro, you know, nano influencers that can that can take a number of different shapes and forms. But when you have that much throughput and volume, and you have a Halle Berry, you know, mentioning your product, that's a great way of thinking. Hey, how do we get a little bit more value in this equation? Maybe offset. Let's say you're working with a, a substantial influencer, and that comes at a at a, a pretty high cost. That can be another great way to 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 offset it as well. So as long as you're directing it back to your your product. Uh, one other thing to, to note is if there is a purchase made, if that customer comes back and rebuys uh, within 14 days, you also get attribution for that as well. So if you can imagine the, the volume, the scale, if you, if you have a bunch of people coming through into your um, branded products, that, that can add up. It really can be substantial. Right. The cookie length. And I think so that hearing that in, in point of, clar point of clarification, it was Drew Barrymore. I said Halle Berry. 
Halle Berry must be on my mind for some reason today. <laughs> Who knows why? Uh, gosh, it makes me want to watch the movie Swordfish for some reason. But anyways, or just like really cool action movie with Halle Berry in it now. Uh, anyways, <laughs> this is where my Friday is at, at this point. Uh, <laughs> moving back to all these different kind of nuances of uh, repeat purchases, I almost, I almost want to think that it fits perfectly for a grocery or something like uh, a something consistent. I wouldn't think supplement would fit in 14 days. That, that would seem like a really tiny bottle of mm. supplements that you're going to get, but something that's either uh, quick use, uh, something that you need a lot of in terms of that capacity. I wouldn't think it would be bulk. I would think it would be more, it would fit grocery perfectly in that capacity. I would think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, where my mind starts to go to is if you own the post-purchase, and again, we do this with many chatter, if you have you have a landing page, you have some way of re-engaging that customer, you can do so in a kind of a promotion specific window. So let's say you know you're going to all of a sudden have 50,000, 100,000 eyeballs coming through your listing, factoring in the conversion rate, and then you have these, you know, th these purchases at scale. Well, if your post-purchase sequence is really dialed in for a short period of time, you may say, okay, I've got this 10% to kind of play with. Could I give a really really specific short-term promotion that incentivizes inside that window more repeat purchase activity and then instead of a, a single purchase maybe even if you've discounted at 25 30 percent to where it's enticing enough and you're playing with that 10 percent. well now you have somebody who's bought two of your products and you have potential poten potential for increasing that ltv um, so i think post-purchase strategies that and customer ownership i think is what's going to take us in terms of the advantages, where, where there's going to be a separation from really, I think, the, the best brands on Amazon uh, coming into the end of this year, it's getting the logistics right, making sure that inventory readiness and that piece of the equation. But post-purchase strategies and customer ownership, I think, is really where you're going to find the brands start to remove themselves a little bit more, see greater, greater ranking, more reviews. Because um, that, that, to me, is always one of the litmus tests is, can you reliably rank? And without customer ownership and being able to send out an email or a text message in 20, 30 minutes and relying on just throwing a ton of money at PPC, it's, um, I know which one I would pick in that, in that equation. <laughs> exactly. I think a lot of people yeah. would rather keep more of their money than, and rely on just the goodwill that they've built up and the strategy they built up rather than just throw money at it. Again, that's, it does take strategy to use PPC in all that regards, but there's cost effectiveness in that in terms of keeping it going, they have to work together, not just reliance one solely. Um, I think in the, the capacity of just, it, does, does a person have to repeat the same product or can it be something a, a part of the suite that you own, like part of your brain registry? Like if I have a hundred ASINs and I, they purchase one, can I say like, Hey, by the way, we have this great, like little caddy for your, your books or that you purchased from us or like a gift item or a gift packer. Can you get creative with that and that still count towards the referral program? Yep. Yeah, I can. As long as it's in that window for that brand registered brand, you're you're all set. That seems maybe a little bit better to do like almost like a, hey, you purchased this. Did you know that we also offer XYZ gift packs, something closer to Q4 gifty, say, hey, bundle them together. And almost met, it almost makes the nature of frequently bought by a little bit easier to kind of make that known to Amazon like, Hey, you purchase gift wrap, maybe you need scissors and you need cat, uh, gift wrap caddy or something that they're also selling. So they would naturally organically bundle together, but you're kind of not manipulating, but pushing that to kind of appear more if that makes sense. So 
interesting yeah. how that could, like you said, post-purchase that you can get really creative in terms of the capacity of what you utilize that. Interesting. What about, um, you said brand registry is getting more and more like importance in those regards. You have to be part of brand registry in order to be part of this referral program. So instantly I would go back to, okay, brand registry, at what point am I good enough, qualified enough to be a part of brand registry and get accepted? Like what's the nuance we haven't really talked about on this show of the, the genesis of brand registry and what it really means for you as a seller. So is there some background you can offer? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, really the big, often the biggest hurdle is, is going through the, the trademark process. So you really confirm and give to, uh, Amazon and what, what used to be reliable and a great way of, of, you know, using like the IP, uh, accelerator program, which isn't essential, but, um, the trademark piece is. And so looking at how to take care of that in an expedited way. And now with, um, pending trademarks, Amazon is still, uh, approving brand registry. Essentially they're seeing if, if you have enough information, you know, you correspond quickly, everything looks uh, good in that process, uh, you can still receive approval for, uh, for brand registry. So that's, that's a, it's really kind of a authority and validation is what they're trying to see is, you know, if you're willing to walk through that step and sort of substantiate your, your brand, uh, via a trademark, uh, brand registry can be pretty, uh, pretty quick. Um, and you know, this is where I think, uh, there, there are solutions out there. Uh, that we've used across brands. Uh, Steve, Stephen Pope one, is one that comes to mind, my Amazon guy. Uh, there are providers out there that help to expedite that process. Um, but that's, it's usually that one, two. And then, you know, if you use a provider, you can, you can move that a little bit quicker, uh, quicker through and try to get it done in, you know, seven days, 14 days, as opposed to a, you know, much longer window of time. And now Amazon is making, you know, brand registry. It's, it's, um, it's getting to be more and more, um, powerful in terms of the suite of features and, uh, data that you can tap into, you know, brand analytics, um, Amazon, um, uh, Amazon live, uh, you can see customer reviews, you get sponsored, you know, different sponsored, uh, brand po or sponsored brand, um, uh, PPC options that you can tap into. So they're giving this really nice suite, uh, of additional features that they're sort of saying, okay, you've, you've validated, you've provided the authority to say, okay, this is, this is a reliable brand that's jumped through just enough hoops. We're going to give you that much more in the way of, of value add. And it's, it's getting to be more and more valuable, uh, for sure. So we'll see if, and in terms of, you know, brand referral program, again, nested underneath this, as well as Amazon attribution, um, that, uh, hopefully knock on wood, it, it, it's free, uh, that you just get it by virtue of going through brand, the brand registry process. Is anything really free when you work on Amazon? That's the, uh, that's I know. the thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it is it, perfectly fine. But you talked about data and like having that access to it. But that that makes it reminds me that you guys have come up with really cool data sets to help people actually understand who these people are and where their their nuances of if they're a great customer, maybe not so great customer. How you can actually point into repeat customers. Tell me a little bit more about that because I thought it was so fascinating when you released this. I didn't think there was any other tool or people were talking about how do you understand what the, like me, if I'm buying your product, am I going to be a great repeat customer or not? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we have, we have the benefit and the, the team uh, that makes up seller tools and a lot of the leadership as sellers themselves, we've been launching products for three, four years now. So we have a lot of, um, 
really great insight, um, both the data and experience that, that we sort of bring to the table when we look at uh, how to answer that big question. That was can we, kind of how we, we looked at it is we know Amazon buyer quality, um, how much that can factor into the equation. Uh, as an example, and a potential sort of a hypothesis that we have is when you see these review sweeps across brands and products, um, one of the hypotheses that we have is that that may point to or Amazon may see a high volume of relatively low quality customers, different deal chasers, different, um, as I call them, not, not so affectionately, but you know, <laughs> when, when you have these Facebook groups, hundreds of thousands, 200,000 plus people, um, all buying uh, you know, a lot of deal products, creating a bunch of different accounts, trying to figure out different ways of just getting essentially free products um, with sellers knowing what works for for ranking. We want to offset and mitigate that, but then also get more cost-effective and reliable uh, launches. And so the way that we've done this, the way that we've tackled buyer qualities, we look at two, we look at a number of different variables, but the two that we sort of flesh out is identifying what what is the score? We actually give a, a rating for each individual customer is we take a high, high confidence data point in the form of uh, a phone number, customer's phone number. Mm -hmm. um, I've had my phone number for more than a decade. You know, it's, it's, it's as close, I think, as somebody as, as having somebody's name. It's really like this sticks with you for a very long time. I was going to say, or a social security number. Like we'll, we'll go as deep as that <laughs> sometimes. Like when these babies nowadays are getting their cell phones like right out of the womb. So anyways, continue. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yes, that is true too. Um, we're going to start asking them as soon as they, you know, as soon as they're able to, to, to speak. Um, but we capture that information and usually we tie that in with some way we deliver value uh, or engage with that customer. Again, ManyChat helps us to facilitate that. So we'll capture the information. We'll then analyze that phone number. And at the, at the first and foremost, we'll make sure it's a real phone number. Uh, we can authenticate it. We can look at um, uh, call activity, text activity. Uh, we can make sure it's not a virtual phone number. So what that allows us to do, we do that thorough analysis, but what that lets sellers who use this type of feature know is that this person is who they say they are and they're not giving you junk data. So that's important for letting them into things like your offers. Um, but also just knowing that you're, you're, you're dealing with a, a, a real person at the end of the day. So we'll give a rating for that to inform what type of, uh, data you're capturing from this customer. And I guess I should note, since we use SMS, that's another part of the equation. If you have a junk phone number, uh, not real phone number or one that's, you know, that, that is fraudulent in any way, uh, that gets devalued because we love to text our customers, you know, 90, 95% open rates. As you mentioned, we're all on our phones way too much, way too early, way too young. Um, but that's the reality. And that's a way we can support, engage uh, our, our customers. So that's the first part of the rating. And then the second is we look at all known uh, purchase and buying activity for that customer to be able to see, is there an abundance of, let's say, uh, cancel orders, refund orders, uh, promotional activity? Do we see that they've ended up excuse me, another feature of ours is a, is a kind of a denialist. So if another seller, seller, let's say seller A says this customer is lower quality, we've seen negative activity. We've seen them try to ab abuse deals. Um, if they're on a, a denialist for another brand, we can watch monitor that and attribute that to a customer and let the seller know, Hey, that's impacted their rating. It's up to you. If you want to re-engage them via email, via text message, at least you know that we've given them a rating, let's say, of right. a, a C because 
we've noticed that type of purchase and buying. They've cheated on their test before, like beware, they might do it again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and then this this for us, you know, what one of the ways that we used to approach things with our deny list is we would just look at people that would. We'd have these really great deals. You know, if we'd launch, maybe run a, a rebate type of campaign, we'd have people that would try to abuse those types of deals where they try to get as much product as they can. Um, and the spirit of the denialist was just say, well, let's remove kind of those low quality actors, low quality buyers. Of course. Where this kind of really flips things and says, well, if I want customers that give us a really quality, great phone number that we can validate, confirm, and look as, as the high confidence metric that it is, we'll give them an A for that rating. And then if we see really organic quality buying and purchase activity for that customer, we may give them an A rating there. So they're a double A rated customer. And we may say, we only want to send out these emails, these offers to double A rated customers. It's a, it's a, it's a quality focused approach um, for buyer quality that, like I said, on the review wipes and those types of things, mitigating negative activity associated to an account. Um, but then also, We'll have to see at scale. This is a this is an open question again. Where once we roll this out and we see a wide variety of categories, we see a lot of uh, you know variety of brands using this uh, at a high level. That um, this is going to really prove out. Where we again see higher quality customers being important, inherently important. It's something we we want as 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 brands ourselves uh, and and as sellers. But um, creating more cost effective, reliable reliable launches is like another big, big piece of that equation. Would you be able to, so the data you're capturing, obviously it's so many different data points. Would it be, is it, is it something in the future where if you got like access to like a social sign-in, for example, like when you created an account, you say sign in with my Google account or sign in with my Facebook, could you in theory pull those data points as well and make, see there's without being like, obviously like very creepy about it, see social activity engagement, things like that, like groups they might be a part of or something in that capacity that would also attribute to the quality score? It could be possible. Though the way that we approach it right now, sort of the 1.0, is we take the known Amazon data. So usually we will tie this in when they provide us their uh, Amazon order ID. So, mm -hmm. and and that that sort of, it's a, it's a elegant opt-in because they've purchased from us on Amazon, we're just simply asking for, hey, give us what, you know, what what unique attribute comes out of that transaction, mm -hmm. and then that starts to begin painting that picture of that customer profile, and then that fingerprint, um, and this is where it has really cool implications. Is we're going to integrate this feature alongside an, um, launch platforms, to where once, as a ver as a, a matter of fact, they see a ton of throughput, a lot of buyers, a lot of purchase activity. Well, if we're fingerprinting all of these customers and it's it's that simple of a step of just simply plugging in the order ID, you get the opt-ins, you get the customer visibility, and you get the scale that really informs more of that, that purchase activity. So I think with future iterations, we'll have to see where we can bolt on other known data. But this is a really easy way of saying, hey, these are some of the things that we sort of look out for anyway. We you know, try to manually do or look in our seller central for just our orders. But because we can sort of crowdsource these insights, it paints a, a more of a picture of that, uh, of that customer and their, their purchase activity. Yeah. I love that. And like you said, the phone number is probably the most 
basic number and the most true thing in terms of data that you can get. Like a lot of us have maybe, I forget what the statistic is of how many different email addresses you have tied to yourself, personal business, all that fun stuff. So in theory, that true cell phone data that almost every person has can tie back to that customer in theory and, and create that thumbprint. Like you said, that's, that's really cool. I think that's such a unique look at now that Amazon doesn't give you that data, you can start to work that process backwards. Like you can start to make it look like, hey, all right, now that I have this subset of group of people, I can create lookalike audiences, either zip code and because we have your area code now, um, zip code, area code, wherever that may look like and really start to see maybe my product's doing well in the Northeast or, you know, Southwest or whatever that looks like. So that's really, really neat. Does that work for just United States sellers or, or like uh, customers or is there an international um, tie into that or will that work for them as well? It will. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Very cool. Yeah. Well, that that's good to know, of course. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And so it ties if, back into to Robbie's question because it's like, once you have all that information, you may prioritize quality customers and say, well, this is a really great lookalike audience. And again, mm -hmm. if we know a lot of people are opting out, you're having no visibility. And so Facebook becomes this kind of uncertain landscape. Well, if you have all this known data that's customer specific, that informs a, a great custom audience, lookalike audience, um, really, really effective way. And again, we've got brands that do retargeting uh, as part of their post-purchase strategy. So that's kind of how that that ties in too, is that once once you build all this data, um, what you know, how how do you want to utilize it? What's it, what's another way of supporting, getting in front of customers, more promotional offers, reliably ranking? It, it opens up a number of doors. Yeah, and you're adding to that win rate, which is again, it was so unnaturally high, but then you can actually create that consistency win rate and keep it even higher. That that floor becomes a lot higher, if you will, um, uh, of of people converting on your on your listing. So cool. Like I think. I'm such a data nerd in this regards and Troy, like that's where, that's where we, I get a lot of our great feelings from what you're talking about here of what you guys are doing moving forward. Is that, is that kind of like the main focus going through us of this year as we're running out of time? Hey, creating quality candidates for you to help that loyal customer and brand grow. Is that what you guys are focusing on most? Yeah, absolutely. Customer ownership is, is how do we, how do we build so, sort of solutions around that? Because I think the you, you wait, a brand that has customer ownership and one that doesn't, that first brand is going to win every single day of the week, and that's that's really what we want to be able to support. But also some of the Amazon objectives that come with that of negative review mitigation. So like we know negative reviews really crush your you do your review math and see when you get negative ratings and reviews, it can just wipe out the sustained success or potential sustained success for for any one product. Um, but then also the other side is when you can welcome reviews, you can welcome feedback, you can iterate based on customer feedback for new products. It can really feed, start to feed into itself where, um, and I keep, I keep giving PPC a hard time, but you can tie in PPC to post-purchase strategies. What tends to be sort of challenging there is if you just throw all the weight on the front end and then there is, you know, it's crickets on the back end. It's such a missed opportunity that you lose the value uh, when we've talked about per unit value and ROI, you've effectively experienced a cost to realize a transaction, to have no continuity in that relationship. And that's, that, that is a, that is a uh, reality that I think, uh, unless you have a ton of money to throw it at, at Amazon and, and your brand presence, um, which most of us don't, um, it's, it's going to be a shortcoming, a challenge and something that's going to put brands behind if they don't create a 
a full circle in that uh, buying experience in the pre and post purchase strategies. I love it. Well, I mean, I would I would love to kind of nerd out like this uh, more, but I know we've already hit our time limit here. Again, at seller seller.tools is the website. Uh new rebrand, fresh looking website. You said there's more coming down the pipeline in terms of apps. Uh your app skin is going to look different, UI is going to look different. You guys have a lot going on. So that, that, yeah. that's the, yeah, there's <laughs> always like uh, I love the SaaS community. It has a special place in my heart when people are continuing to iterate. They don't just rely on just the old traditional data. It's how do you make it work best for you? How do you make it so that people can understand this is who my audience is? How can I continue to grow my brand? You know, th those are the kinds of things. Where's innovation happening in the SaaS space? And I think you guys are one of those leaders for sure. So if they want to reach out, of course, is that LinkedIn? What's the best way again, if a listener wants to touch base with you? Absolutely. Yeah. So seller.tools, we have a Facebook group, uh, FBA Kings. We're pretty active in there too. A great community for support and anything that we can, uh, we love to riff, talk about a lot of these things. Link laundering, we just did a presentation on that. So would love to, uh, to have you join us there and then reach out if there's anything that we can, you know, help you with uh, hello at seller.tools. We've got a free Chrome extension, a bunch of other really free, uh, very cool, but also free features. And as, as you mentioned, Ryan, we've got a lot of new stuff that's about to go live here too. So I'm really excited. Well, stay tuned. Yeah. Subscribe to the email list for sure. And just keep up to date of all the different things that you guys are launching. Um, like I said, Troy B, uh, thanks again for hopping on as a friend of the show, as always can talk for hours with you about all these kinds of different things you guys are doing, but, um, anything else that you want to add today? Like, or you're kind of looking to Q3. Is there anything that's crazy on your mind in the space or not in the space? Yeah, I think I would double down on some of the things we touched on of sort of rerunning your numbers, making sure that you have the the inventory readiness piece of the equation, because everything we touched on in terms of customer ownership and um, transactions, it, you know, physical product business does, doesn't work very well without physical products. So ironing all of that out ahead of a pretty uncertain Q4, I think is really important. And then stressing post-purchase and, and customer ownership of where you can really hang your hat on that to where there's continuity with your customer, there's the support, and that actually builds up a lot more brand equity and, and brand value too. Um, one of the overlooked things is having that VIP list as an asset. That's almost almost put on your balance sheet when you when you come to these awesome aggregators and say, hey, here's here's my value of my brand. Well, if I've got 10,000 highly active, rabid fans giving me feedback, willing to, you know, willing to share, um, ready to take up any offers, that's a lot valuable, a lot more valuable than the opposite where somebody doesn't just have anybody or doesn't have a community that's ready to um, engage and to interact with you as a brand. Yep. And, and they're high quality too. They're not just uh, numbers that you just collected. So exactly. fascinating stuff as always, man. Well, thanks so much for hopping on Crossover Commerce. And as always, reach out to Troy and connect with him on seller.tools is the website. Definitely check them out and, um, you know, get better data to back your brand up. That's, that's, that's why I take away always when I talk with Troy. So thanks so much for hopping on, man. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. Awesome. And thanks to everyone else for listening and uh, watching Crossover Commerce episode 140. This is again, my quarter of the internet where I bring great minds like Troy uh, to, to kind of demystify certain aspects of what selling on Amazon is like, but then also taking actionable steps away to apply to your business and move forward in a more profitable and more strategic way, I would call it. So with that being said, next week is going to be crazy. <clears throat> Let me go ahead and clear my voice because it's a lot, so much happening here at Crossover Commerce and Ping Pong Payments. I'm going to have 
goodness gracious, five episodes. My, my voice is already trembling because we're going to have five episodes next week, all live Monday through Friday. Stay tuned because it's going to be value packed with people in the ad space, Amazon space, logistics space. We're going to hit all the gauntlet. So if you want to learn more about Amazon space and just level up, if that's not your topic, tune in the next day because there's going to be so much content. I'm going to be throwing your way. Um, it's going to be fast, but make sure you subscribe to uh, Ping Pong Payments social pages, either on Facebook, YouTube, or LinkedIn, or you can follow myself. And that's where we will go live on those sessions. And again, you can follow and subscribe to Crossover Commerce on all your favorite podcast stations. Give a great thumbs up or review or share the favorite episodes that you encounter. And of course, rate those um, accordingly. Again, I'm not going to tell people. I want you to give honest and uh, fair feedback. So if you uh, don't like it or you think we can improve, definitely rate it accordingly. But of course, five stars is always what I'm going for here. So that being said, have a great weekend, everyone. Be safe out there. And of course, as always, thank you to Troy Johnson of Seller on Crossover Commerce. We'll catch you guys next week. Take care.